Hey everyone, Tommy Caldwell here. You know, everyone, at least in the climbing world these days, is trying to figure out ways to live more intentionally, to live a less impactful life. And one of the best things we as climbers can do to make that happen is to support and buy things from the companies that are doing the same thing, the companies that are figuring out ways to lower their carbon footprint, lower their chemical usage, make their products out of recycled materials, make products that just don't wear out. And, you know, the only company that's doing that well in the ropes and hardware space is Edelrid. They've been innovating the best products for over 100 years. They invented the sit harness. These days, they make unquestionably the most high-quality ropes, the lightest weight carabiners, and really, they're just awesome all around. So check them out at www.climbgreen.com. This episode is brought to you by Osprey. Tired of your tattered old climbing pack? It's time you met the zealot from Osprey. Osprey was born at the foot of the Sierras and came of age in the ranges, deserts, and canyons around Cortez, Colorado. And ever since, they've been elevating adventure through innovative pack design along the way. When it comes to climbing, their Zealot series is purpose-built and athlete-tested with ballistic nylon to defy years of dirt bagging. Their Zealot 40 is a proper crag bag, made with the same attention to detail and carrying comfort that Osprey is known for. And their Zealot 30 is made for your days that take you from work to the gym, using dual compartments to keep your everyday carrying and climbing gear separate. The Zealot is available online at osprey.com or at your local retailer. Welcome to the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the climbing zine. I am Luke Mihal. And this is episode nine of season five, conversation with Anna Hazlett, also known as Anna Hazelnut. I connected with Anna, as I talk about in the interview from Lucas Roman, who was one of our contributors, and he met her in the climbing gym. And we really thought that she would have a good story for the climbing zine. And it turns out she does, and it came in the form of podcasting first. This conversation, like I said, I was probably more nervous than usual um, to have this, I don't know, Anna that well at all but we were able to connect and I believe have a real conversation that I think is going to be meaningful for you all. The main thing I want to message here is our Keep the Zine Alive campaign is doing well. We're at 453. I'd love to get to a thousand by the end of this year so if you're a fan of the podcast or if you're a fan of the Climbing Zine please check out the Climbing Zine store. You can go to climbingzine.com. And another good way to support this podcast is through our Patreon. Uh, We've got a modest following, but uh, every month it comes through and it's really appreciated. So those are the two ways to support this podcast and to support the Climbing Zine. This episode of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast is sponsored by Kilter. Looking for a fun way to train at home or at the gym? Check out the Kilter board. The Kilter Board has innovative light-up holds, a progressive app with animated functions, climbs for all abilities, and two layouts to choose from with large international online communities for each. There are over 66,000 problems in the original Kilter Board layout, and the newer Homebuilder layout comes with over 6,300 problems. You can set, tick climbs, make shareable playlists, watch send videos for motivation and beta, and even add your own videos to share with other users. The new map feature helps you find and connect to Kilter boards nearest you. Kilter has multiple wall sizes and package options available, so we can help you get a Kilter board in almost any space. Check out Kilter at settercloset.com 
and look for more information in our show notes. This episode is also sponsored by Scarpa. Scarpa's approach to climbing shoe design mirrors their approach to the pursuit of climbing itself. They strive to evolve and incorporate new ideas and techniques every step of the way. They refine their strengths, train their weaknesses, and build on each success. Scarpa has been bolstering its climbing shoe foundations by continuing to create versatile, high-quality designs that satisfy the needs of climbers across a range of disciplines and skill levels. For more information, visit scarpa.com and look for a link in our show notes. Without further ado, let's just get into this great conversation. And it really made my day to have this with Anna. I am here with Anna Hazlett, and uh, we spent the fi- last 15 minutes discussing how to pronounce your name. Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. I'm in El Potrero, Chico, Mexico. And where are you? I'm in Smith Rock, Oregon. Smith Rock, Oregon. So we're both in these meccas of world-class climbing. And thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast and have a conversation with me. Yeah. No, I've been super excited. I I love the zine. I, it's, it's awesome. I was so excited when you asked me to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, you, you appreciate the art of the zine because I know we were, I was definitely aware of you through just kind of the general ubiquitous um, world of social media. And I feel like you've kind of popped up. I knew who you were, but uh, Lucas Roman was kind enough to do an introduction and he's a, a longtime zine contributor and he just thought you should write for the zine. And then it just, we had a great conversation. It's kind of evolved into, um, let's start with doing a podcast and yeah, thanks for, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Oh, that introduction was so lovely by Lucas. <laughs> that was, I was so grateful for that. And now, yeah, this is awesome. I think Lucas is one of the best climbing writers in the space today. He just has a way with words that like I could literally read his writing about just anything. And it, it, it just comes across so well. Like even when he sends a text, it's like a five page yeah. text. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's beautiful. Like it almost brought me to tears. And I'm just like, basically I was just saying hi. He was yeah. like, this is Anna, you know, this is Luke. And I was just like, oh my gosh, the way he wrote our intros was so beautiful. I wanted to cry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, part of what I love about the zine is I feel like I have all these pen pal friends throughout the world. And, and Lucas is a pen pal friend and we've also become friends in real life. But that's what I love, I think, the most about the zine is it just allows me to, yeah, to kind of de- develop these pen pal friends. And a lot of times I'll meet the people in real life and we'll become friends. But then there's some people I've, I've never met that I, I feel close to in this interesting way that's beyond just like a digital kind of DM surface level friendship. So. Oh, that's beautiful. You're definitely one of my new pen pal friends. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So I wanted to start with kind of your tagline that I've seen that you've had just up forever is slab is sexy and inclusivity is hot. And I'll let you start with either one of those taglines, but could you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I have had those in my bio forever, like since I started Instagram. Uh, And I guess I'll just start with the first one, uh, slab is sexy. So I have always loved slab climbing. I think that's the reason I love climbing. I went to the gym and I started on the slab and I couldn't get off the slab and I like started, you know, I tried other types of climbing, of course, other forms, but I just felt like I could dance immediately on the slab. And then slowly but surely, I mean, I'm sure as a lot of people have kind of come to understand is that slab isn't 
as respected as a lot of other types of climbing. It's kind of like, oh, but it's slab or like the slab grades are always kind of heavily sandbagged outside. It's like, oh yeah, that's a V1 slab. And you're like, uh, okay. And there's just like a lot of controversy, I feel like, around slab. They're scary. They're usually way more technical and require a lot more technical skill that you have to build up through a long time climbing. You know, you have to just practice it. It's not just like this pure strength thing that a lot of other styles of climbing are. And I just felt like that was unfair because I really love slab. I think it's wonderful. I think it's beautiful. And so I just put it up there to kind of be contrarian, but also to be like, hey, look, slab is sexy and it's okay if you like slab. Because especially um, a lot of women really like slab. And I feel like in part, you know, when I started, there weren't many women even climbing. Like I was one of the only women in my gym and it kind of seemed like slab was like the girl climb and like, mm. oh, you did you know, your first V4, but it was slab. And it just kind of felt like it had this negativity surrounding it. So I thought I would make it my mission in life <laughs> to, to create positivity around it. I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's the first one. And then inclusivity is hot. I mean, for a lot of the same reasons, you know, I kind of felt like I, f I felt included, but I did also feel like an outsider. And this is something I felt my whole life a lot just because I don't know, I'm mixed, I'm a mixed baby. Like, I just feel like I'm not quite all in one place sometimes. Like I have one foot in one culture, one in the other, and I travel a lot and it's just, I just feel like inclusivity is huge. Um, being brown, identifying as queer and all of these, you know, intersectional titles that I've adopted that describe me. I feel like it's it's nice to feel like, okay, I'm included too. And so I, you know, I threw that up there as well. I think around the same time I threw Slab is Sexy up. I like put all of those in my bio. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that you seem to be representing this intersection between old school and new school really well. You know, I'm 44 and I've been climbing for 25 years. And so I kind of was at the end of like the age before the internet existed, you know, in, in, yeah. in terms of, you know, affecting the climbing experience. I won't often do an interview like this. I'd prefer to like sit down with someone, but if I can connect with fun, someone like the, like the, I said, the, the pen pal friends that I have, like if I can connect over the internet or over a phone conversation, it feels like something special. So what I, what I find is so interesting about you is you kind of represent this new school kind of vibe of climbing, but you also have an old school ethic, whether I think, whether you're aware of it or not, to me, that that's what I really got out of talking to you. And since we've chatted, I've watched some of your videos and different things like that. But is that something you're aware of that intersection? Mm, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't really aware of it until more recently, to be honest. Uh, and and a lot I know a lot of my my followers and subscribers and stuff they are like there's this group of like trad dads that just adore me and I love that so <laughs> much and it's just the sweetest thing because I feel like in a way I'm yeah bridging this like generational gap and I, I couldn't quite put my finger on why and I haven't really thought too much into it so hearing you say that kind of almost elucidates it for me because yeah, I just I I don't really know what it is about me because I I do all these you know TikTok like reels and stuff on Instagram. I'm I'm well in the new school like social media game, and I, I think it's really fun. I love it, but I think there's maybe an element when people see my page that is just really raw and sometimes crude and like very much on the outskirts of normalcy, maybe. And I just I kind of I'm not really a rule follower. Um, 
I I really like to do kind of sketchy trad with skyhooks and shit like that. And <laughs> I don't know. I think there's just this weird cross that people maybe don't expect when they see me. Um, and I get along with people of all ages really well. I, I don't really know. I mean, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it in in the sense of um, being different, being quirky. Because, I mean, the ironic thing about, um, like, when I started climbing is it was, like, mostly white males. But they were, like, the misfits. And, you know, I think the stone masters are, like, the sexiest <laughs> version of that, you know. Um, yeah. And, and Lynn Hill is, of course, the sexiest and the oh the most prolific and, and yes. just the, the best. Now that climbing is more mainstream, there is less of the counterculture, but I think it's still alive and well. It's just a certain percentage of climbers. I live out of my car. Um, I'm starting to have, you know, a, a better income now or recently where I don't have to like live on couches or in hostels or out of my car for most of the year or like in, you know, random places like a, a renovated pigsty or like a dilapidated <laughs> car that's abandoned, right? I've lived like under a rock. Um, <laughs> All right, so wait, a uh, renovated that. pigsty? Is that, a, is that a real experience? It's actually the best room, though, because I was living with other climbers, and some of them had, like, tents, and they're like, oh, we'll just stay in the tent. And so I, I really got lucky. I even had a mattress, <laughs> um, which was amazing. And wow. I had walls. That's uh -huh. the thing. Like, yeah, there, the walls were finished. So that was, like, luxury, high class. <laughs> so maybe it's, like, also a little bit of that, like, kind of just, like, you know, going out there trying to make it work and whatever just climbing the main goal is to climb the most right so how do you do that you find odd jobs you live in the middle of the mountains where you don't have to pay rent right you know you, you make a way you find a way and I feel like that was climbing up until maybe the mid 2000s or early 2010s or whatever we're calling that decade I feel like climbing really was that but and also i want to ask where was the the renovated uh, pigsty it's <laughs> a beautiful i like calling it that because it's so dramatic you know i'm one for drama but it's it really was just like a beautiful little room um in catalina okay in a barn if you look at my old youtube videos that's kind of when i started doing youtube you'll see the abandoned car i lived in and then when i moved into that room um, you'll kind of see the barn without walls that me and like 12 people lived in for lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's, it was really fun. I mean, I, I feel very grateful and lucky. It was hard because I think lockdown and COVID was hard for a lot of people, yeah. especially, you know, when I was struggling a little bit to, to find money and make money and, you know, find jobs. But given all of that, just like having this place was was actually very magical. I'm super grateful for it. Well, that sounds like quite a story. And um, going back to Lucas Roman, he, he was like, he's a writer's writer. And he was like, even just two days ago, he texted me. He's like, how's Anna's story uh, coming for the zine? And I'm like, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do a podcast, but there's no, but I think maybe that's what he latched on to about you is that you've got some stories already. And that honestly, that seems like a zine story um, to me. So that's so awesome. Yeah, I do feel like I've, I've lived a lot of lives like in a way I know I'm really young and it's like I probably have no right to say that but um just like the way I've lived in the last for the last like four or five years has just been like every week maybe a new place and just like crazy stories and I just feel like oh I feel super yeah like I, I don't know like I have a lot of random stories I'm like oh yeah that was that week when I randomly went to like the Middle East or that was that week when I did this and you know I get myself into trouble I think <laughs> in modern day life that is so sedentary that's what i love about climbing 
is that it, it provides that sense of adventure, especially for the person who is maybe like easily bored or wants an adventurous life. So I can, I can relate to all of that. And maybe someday you'll write a story for us about the, uh, <laughs> the renovated pigsty. Yeah. I'm really curious of your background and how kind of how you became not just a climber, but someone who, who kind of wanted to go all in on, I guess, what we call dirtbag life. Um, yeah. What, what is your trajectory of like fault, not only falling in love with climbing, but also just really dedicating yourself to kind of the, the hardcore lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I guess I really fell in climb, fell in love with climbing when I first did it when I was 16. I'm pretty sure, you know, I'd done it before, like at birthday parties and like random renaissance fairs and festivals that were happening near my house or whatever. But like when I really first did it, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing in the world. Like, I love this. And I think at that time I hadn't really found anything I loved. I was just kind of this really chaotic, energetic kid who you know, it, I like would put my energy into school because I was supposed to get good grades. So, you know, I did well in school and I was just like, I had a lot of extra energy. I was in sports. I, my parents like had to move me around in many different sports when I was little because I kept getting like kicked out of them. Uh, just like, yeah, lots of energy, <laughs> but nowhere to really like harness yes. it. You know what I yes. mean? I was the same it's like, exact kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, it's weird because I do also feel like I was like I was always trying to be like good like I was always trying to be a goody two-shoes like I really wanted to please people and so I'd put my energy into that and so it's really strange that in my adult life when I kind of released that societal pressure of myself mm. and I found climbing and I kind of found this I mean it kind of felt like a misfit thing when I started even though that was 10 years ago it just felt like this thing that was different that allowed me to break the rules and it kind of released me from from having to be that perfect kid mm, and then mm. I kind of went the other way completely like I, I fully changed personalities it almost seems when I found my passion and I just was like well I'm gonna question rules now and sometimes I'm gonna break them I'm gonna not do what society wants me to do and it took me a while because I did go to college university because I still thought like well to be successful I have to have like one of a few jobs right I got to go to med school I've got to be a lawyer I've got to do you know the big hitting jobs that you hear about and it took a while for me to kind of erase that and just go fully rogue and I think that's probably why I went so extreme in the other direction because once I decided I wasn't gonna go to med school and be a neurosurgeon <laughs> which was part of my plan wow. I was like or neuroscientist like I really loved that kind of thing I just like put everything into doing the opposite yeah, and so you fell in love with climbing as a teenager, huh? Yeah, I was yeah. 16, junior year of high school. Yeah. I loved it. But I still, you know what I mean? Like, I still tried to get good grades. I was, like, in this, like, limbo where I was trying to not get in trouble. But then at, at one point, I remember, oh, my God, my AP chemistry teacher was, like, when I uh, graduated, she just, like, came up to me. And she was, like, I mean, she was lovely, but she was just, like, I wanted you to get a bad grade so badly she's like I've never had a student <laughs> ditch so many classes and get such a good grade and she was just like you don't deserve that grade basically and I was like oh okay and I you know I was like on the transition out I was basically I think I ditched like oh man over a month worth of classes in my second half of school my senior year I just like did not go to school anymore <laughs> but you had that intelligence to still get the good grade yeah. 
Yeah. I love that. And the know-how too. I wrote myself notes and signed with my mom's name on it. And I was similar, but I did not get good grades. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like I didn't really know who I was until I became a climber. And like, I knew I needed like an outlet for that. I was your classic like ADD kind of student. I'm high functioning, so I still haven't really been diagnosed, but it's been suggested by many therapists. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I've heard that women are less likely to get diagnosed with ADHD than, than men are. Yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder if it's like this, what I keep referencing, like the societal pressure that kind of is pretty heavy on women to like kind of suck it up. Like, or like you know, to adults to be good, to like be sweet, be more quiet. And so you have that kind of combating your hyperactivity and it just maybe I don't know maybe it just makes it less likely that you're you're diagnosed because you're actually trying to be pretty good you know for the adults or whatever sure yeah that's interesting that's really interesting so it seems like you have a scientific mind in addition to whatever that like classical ADHD mind (laughs) which kind of makes sense but now that I see that manifesting in your climbing and then also that we'll get into later. Um, obviously, you know, being a, a filmmaker is very important to you, but like you're really creating a body of work at a young age, which is, is also impressive to me that you're able to like create this body of work. I get a lot out of the, the films that you create and, and the messages that you're putting out there into the world. So it, it does make sense. To me, it seems like you have the heart of an artist. And I think that a lot of times it takes a lot of years to kind of create a body of work where you, you've already been able to do that at a young age. Oh, well, well, thank you. Where to start? I guess starting with the scientific mind part that you were talking about, um, I think it's really helpful and you can definitely see it if you look close enough in any of my films or you know films that I'm in where I... Like, I'm able to break down climbs really well. If you ask any of my climbing partners, um, I basically immediately remember beta, and then I also mm. remember their beta. And wow. I'm like, that's not what you did last time. Um, wow. Like, Tom's just like, spray me up it. And I'm like, well, you went left hand there, right hand there, this, 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 this. But I go here, here, here. And I just like, you know, I sink in real quick into, into memorization mode just because, I don't know, that's, that's what my brain does. And I do it pretty well. <laughs> So that's nice. That's why I think I climb bigger things. And I like, like, I loved the multi-pitch climb project uh, Tom and I did because I was like, oh, so much stuff to memorize. This is great. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. I am the complete opposite is I I forget the moves unless I do them a million times and and write them down or something. Um, Yeah, yeah, I'm the complete opposite of that. (laughs) I'll also write them down, too. I don't know. It's just, you know what it does? It depends if I care about the climb, I'll completely blank out and I have no idea. But if I care about the climb, I'll do it instantly. I think that's probably part of the ADHD brain too. It's like, if I'm paying attention to directions, I can do it. If I'm not, I have no idea where I am. <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh, wow. My mind just skipped for like 10 minutes and now I'm here. Okay, like, let's deal with that. <laughs> yeah, well, well, speaking of ADD and, and skipping, I, I do want to go back to your formation as a, a climber and an artist because I think I see a parallel there. And I want to know... When did your climbing and artistry start to merge into becoming a storyteller and, and a filmmaker? Ooh, that's great. You know, if I didn't feel a lot of pressure to have been STEM, you know, in school, like my mm-hmm. favorite subject was always English. I'm a terrible speller. <laughs> I'm not maybe very good at writing, but I've always loved it. And 
I really thrived. Like I want, I tried so hard in my like AP lit classes in high school. I took English uh, throughout college because I loved it and I wanted to read more books. And then um, I ended up almost accidentally minoring in it. I did minor in it, but because at the end I realized, oh wow, I have like, I just need to take like two more classes and I'll have this minor. And I was also like a class away from math because I just took math for fun as well from minoring, double minoring. (laughs) So like I basically have just been very curious about storytelling and I think yeah, if I hadn't had that pressure, I probably would have majored in English or done something more literary. And I yeah, think and so it um, just yeah. to kind of go back again, it seems like your trajectory—you didn't completely drop out and be a climbing bum. You, you still were like high functioning within academics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I graduated honors too. I was like ready for med school. You know what I mean? But I was also really lucky that I was able to do that. Um, My parents really wanted me to go to university and they supported me. So I obviously have like that level of privilege where, you know, it's not like I was risking being in huge amounts of debt, um, which I feel like is important to talk about because I think that's most climbers who get to a higher level, like have this privilege. uh, And I'm not one to overlook that. Um, Right when I decided not to do that though, you know, (laughs) then I felt a little bit more like okay I have to really make this work and that's when my life kind of changed when I wasn't on that trajectory but still I felt really lucky that I was able to explore and pursue my educational interests while kind of kind of scheming on how I could figure out climbing as well yeah and so was it one day that you just woke up and you were like I don't want to be a neuroscientist or was it something you kind of came to the realization of in college No, I mean, I'd been coming to the realization, but it wasn't until I graduated, I was working, you know, a nine to five job. And, and I was like, well, honestly, fuck that. And I, I just decided one morning, I was like, no, I I like, I don't think I can do this. I can't, Uh this is not my life. And then that evening I had bought a one-way ticket to Barcelona with all (laughs) of the money that I had made from that job so far. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you were working a nine to five within the, the medical field or... I was, I mean, at the time it was like a summer job. I'd been teaching engineering um, to kids at like middle schools uh, with Legos. I had like, I was like a Lego engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like creating lessons plans, you know, doing like robotics and stuff. And so I just did that full time in the summer while I was basically figuring out my next steps. But I thought, oh, I've been working with them, you know, while I've been at university, that was like my job. Yeah, I had a couple jobs just to, you know, make money <laughs> as one has to do. And, and so it was nice to like, just have that moment where I was just like, I don't want to figure out next steps and I don't want to keep teaching. Like, this is not really what I want to do. So I'm just going to, you know, flip the script. You had like this moment of clarity. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I, I have those too. I, I almost wonder if that's another ADD <laughs> quality. It's like, I feel like when I've made my mind up about something and I've had, you know, people I've dated have told me this, like, once you make your mind up about something, you are just gone. Like you're, you're making that decision and you're going. And it sounds like you, you made that decision too. And, and so you went to Barcelona and you did a, a climbing trip there. Well, I was teach I was going to teach English because I was already a teacher or like, you know, a, an instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I figured I would use my, like the de- degree, like the, uh, I guess certifications I already had. And I was mm-hmm. just going to get a teaching job there. And okay. I did get a job. And are you bilingual? Um, 
I, I am. Yeah. I'm rough and ready with my Spanish. I can do it. <laughs> sure, sure. I'm, I'm like learning Spanish right now. Um, mm. So, yeah, I was just kind of curious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like, if I'm in a Spanish-speaking place, like, country mm-hmm. for, like, a week, I'll definitely feel more fluent. But, mm-hmm. like, right now, specifically, I only speak Spanish to my mom and, like, maybe the occasional friend who speaks. And it's, you know, it's, it, you if you don't use it, you lose it, at least in my case. Yeah. Because it's... Yeah, I, I didn't quite learn it growing up with, with English. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I can pretty much understand fluently because I did grow up with a lot of Spanish around. Mm-hmm. You're out there and you're, like, living the climbing life. And did you had you already started kind of ma- being a filmmaker and a storyteller at that point? No, no. It was my friends and family who pushed me to to tell the stories because they thought it was ridiculous what I was doing because basically my my job fell through and I was pretty upset and I didn't I was kind of scared I didn't know what to do because I didn't know anyone I just oh, like so you showed up to, to Spain with a job opportunity yeah. and it didn't work out right wow so yeah well at the time too I didn't speak Spanish I had just heard a lot of it at the house so I, I picked it up really fast but I still couldn't speak like it was funny the first day I went to the gym I just knew like si no and like that was it like mm-hmm. and like claro and then um Obviously, like I, I also do really well with languages. I think so. I have, I, I really picked them up well. So that was on my side as well. Cause my, I don't know. I think I have a good brain for language learning. You know, within a week I could speak sentences. Within a month I was practically fluent, which was wonderful. And but it was still scary because at the time I didn't consider. I I was basically like I can't speak Spanish. I was telling people like no puedo hablar español. Like please like speaks like in English do you speak English like, I don't know it was just like very like nerve-wracking because I felt like I was yeah I was alone I was really young like just graduated I never felt so alone in my life before and then at the time my my girlfriend also decided to break up with me so oh yeah it was just too hard with distance I guess uh-huh. so I was just like okay cool so I'm here and I decided to also learn how to sport climb and I wasn't like I was kind of a boulderer before that and I had sport climbed a few times but I thought oh you know what I'm really gonna try this when I go there because it's you know it's Catalonia how can you not and I just felt all like all of these things that had given me confidence in throughout college like my academia my my sense of humor honestly like having that language accessible to make jokes and and even bouldering like my strength you know you attach a certain amount of value to your your strength whether you like it or not if you're a climber it's just like it's part of who you are and when you feel like you're bad at everything and you have nothing it's just it was super scary Mm. that time was like yeah pretty intense and so I ended up finding some cheap housing and eventually moving into that car that dilapidated car um in a friend of a friend's backyard because I couldn't afford rent I don't know it was just like (laughs) a bit intense but you stuck it through Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't want to worry my parents because they knew that I basically up and, you know, I switched up my life a lot and they were very nervous for me. They were like, this is not a great idea. And I just kind of wanted to do it so badly. Do you know what I mean? Like, not that they weren't necessarily supportive. They're actually super supportive, especially now, but it was more like everyone was questioning. And so every time I talk to them I'm like yeah no it's going great like I'm doing so well like I'm totally fine I found a job I didn't find a job right like I do I have a house I didn't have a house I did this that that anyways I think I went on a huge tangent but basically the adventure I was starting to live was so wild that a lot of 
my friends were like encouraging me to at least write about it and I thought oh my gosh I don't know if I have the patience to write about this but I can talk about it because <laughs> my brain's just going so fast there's so much happening so I just kind of got my phone and started taking selfie videos and making my first very shitty vlogs that I then somehow also convinced myself was worth sharing even though they were horrible I just started publishing them and I just thought I'm gonna change I'm not gonna be a perfectionist I'm gonna try not to be as much of a perfectionist and I'm gonna just like good enough is good enough just get it out there that's kind of how it started it's uh, yeah it sounds like you could write a book someday for sure something I loved in one of your videos and I, I'm guessing ADDs is gonna be the theme of this conversation because we're just gonna bounce <laughs> but I, I, I do have a trajectory in mind but you described when you first started climbing, you didn't want to bulk up. You didn't want to, mm. maybe in your words will be better than my words, but you, there's definitely like a feeling of being conscious of your body and then almost like letting go of that. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm guessing you're, I'm, I'm at least like ringing a bell of, of what video I'm talking about and what kind of experience yeah. that you were going through. Could you just kind of tell us a little bit about that and, and just like, the, the mental things you had to kind of overcome to, I guess, become the climber that you are today. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, gosh, when I moved, basically, when I moved to Catalonia, I felt like all of these things were happening. And on top of that, I like I was basically trying to shed my perfectionism, my um, desire to conform. Yeah, I was basically going through a lot, I think, in my head, at least. It felt like a lot, especially for being like, 22 I was just feeling like so constantly overwhelmed and part of that perfectionism adhering to societal norms thing that I was trying to expel was also the idea that women look a certain way and I know this isn't maybe the case for every woman out there who grows up or even every any woman in western culture but at least for me growing up near LA I had this very specific idea of what beauty was and that was you know a model and especially because I'm I'm tall so the only form of beauty I felt that was acceptable for me being tall was to be very very thin mm. and I don't know if that's like part of it or not but you know like if you are the model height then you're like well that's that's the structure I have to follow right like I don't get to be like curvy I don't get like I just this is what I should be and I was and so I think it made it really hard to kind of allow myself to actually start taking climbing seriously and train and bulk up because to me it was just like I was every time I got stronger I was just becoming uglier and I think that was like a huge thing that I had to completely eradicate erase and reconstruct and and figure out how to be really happy with all of the beauty that I am regardless of how my body fluctuates and regardless of the amount of muscle that I add and I think actually delving into the dirtbag community and being surrounded by a lot of strong humans, like, you know, man, woman, non-binary, whatever, just like strong, beautiful people and kind of seeing the beauty in others on that track really helped me see the beauty in myself. Mm. I think that was super important for me was to get out of, out of LA, basically, and out of the city and just see how beautiful the body can be. There's ups and downs, but I just really feel like I've embraced the fact that I want more than anything to be good at climbing and to you know, push myself and see how far I can take it. I think that's really exciting. And in order to do that, I can't really be too caught up in how my body looks because it changes all the time. You you bring up a good point that there are so many, there are so many, like strength comes in the form of so many different bodies in climbing. 
sometimes the most unassuming climber that you wouldn't think would be strong is incredibly strong. And then sometimes the people that are really bulky and overly strong aren't necessarily the strongest on the rock, but. There's an understanding basically that this is a body weight sport and that losing weight will obviously make you climb stronger. I don't think like that's just how it goes. And that's like very short term. It's like, oh yeah, if you're, if you weigh less, you have less to pull. But at the same time, it's so problematic, right? Because although you can't deny the fact that it is a body weight sport, it's like, well, but it's really not because you're going to get fatigued, injured, like you're harming your body. There's like all of these negative long-term effects. I think I also had to like basically avoid the temptation to choose that route and instead be like, I'm going to start lifting and I'm going to start like being strong and it's okay if I have a little more weight because I'm going to be able to be strong enough to counter that. And I think that's also, I don't know, one of those things you have to, you have to really believe and know to be true and have confidence in, right? Otherwise, I think it's so easy for someone like me who did grow up with that beauty ideal to kind of, you know, backtrack a little bit. So I just keep telling myself that and it's, you know, it keeps working. That's the thing. Like I keep getting stronger because, because I'm fueling myself and I'm getting stronger. My muscles are growing. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I do feel like there are plenty of examples of people, uh, especially early women early on in climbing that, um, you know, have developed eating disorders or, you know, Katie Brown just wrote that, um, memoir about like kind of her path within climbing. And it seems like there's a dark path climbers have gone down with that ideal in mind. And, uh, it just makes me so happy that you were able to recognize it and then kind of move past it. And it's, it's so refreshing for me to see that your vulnerability that you use talking about your life and talking about your storytelling and everything. And I think that vulnerability is like such an important part uh, within climbing and another another antidote from one of your videos is highlighting and showcasing failure i love that um mary eden came up in, in one of these videos um, because i love mary she actually did the cover shot for our most recent issue of the climbing zine of kaya um, Lindsay, and i love that mary is just such like a powerhouse in the climbing community now and i love what she represents but could you tell us about that kind of scenario of of being able to highlight failure and, and kind of use that as an empowering mechanism? So the part of the video you're referencing is there was this one session I was having and I had just come back from Sardinia doing this like big multi-pitch and it honestly it wrecked me and so I stayed in bed for like a week like no cap my parents had to like come into my room and like tell my little sister to go on like a little bike ride with me like every day or do something they're like you yeah. just have to get out of the house like I basically completely reverted into like a 12 year old mm -hmm. <laughs> which I think you know a lot of people don't maybe understand or talk about but obviously travel and climbing burnout is real and if mm -hmm. you have a really intense situation happening for multiple months and you're constantly traveling and constantly pushing your fears it just you know sometimes you just break and I did it was really hard for me when I came back home from this last travel stint and I'd never actually done that I never actually spent a week in bed and I have now and what happens is you feel like shit after my little sister and parents who you know I was just back at home and and they they helped and they were like okay we're getting out of the bed and you can go to the couch and watch tv there okay now you can go back to the bed and watch tv that's fine and I literally I just you know it broke and after that, I just felt so bad about climbing because I, I 
I got my psych back. I was like, okay, I, I want to go to the gym and have some fun sessions, like nothing crazy. I wasn't training. I was just, I wanted to like feel like myself again. And then there's like this moment where you get psyched, right? But your body's not there yet. You, you know, cause you spent a week in bed. And I, it was that moment where I just felt like I was falling on like jugs and it just felt bad because I knew that there were eyes on me. And mm-hmm. I, I know people are starting to recognize me. I know not everyone knows who I am, but like there's like someone at the gym who will know who I am and probably in my head judge me for it. And it's a, like a kind of a hard pill to swallow because I'm not, that's why I made this video about how to stop caring about what people are thinking just because I think it does impact me a lot, especially when I'm not at my best. And Mary called me or something, or maybe I called her. I think she called me. And I was just telling her, she's like, how's it going? I'm like, oh, I'm in the middle of the worst gym session ever. I'm falling on jugs. And she was like, we both basically said the same thing at the same time. And I'm all like, I'm so inspiring. And she's like, yeah, like <laughs> there's that V4 bro in the back who's seeing you like fall on jugs. And he's like, maybe I can do the walk of life. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we just started <laughs> laughing. And we were like, or like, who knows? But like to a real extent, like maybe there's like some girl who's, just started climbing maybe she's like on a youth team or something and she sees me like flailing up this like v3 right and she's like oh (laughs) maybe maybe i can dream bigger and that's kind of what i put into that video it's like if if she can do all of this and still fall on relative jugs uh, an approachable climb maybe i have every right to dream bigger too you know so there's that fun little twist that does make me feel better when i'm having a shit day i'm like well at least I'm inspiring someone, maybe. <laughs> and failure is like such an important element of climbing, too. I got that out of, of climbing with uh, Tom Randall, which I know he's a climbing partner of yours as well. We brought him and Pete out to our like multi-year project. And, you know, you've seen so many videos of these guys. And, and Tom absolutely got worked because it was a size that wasn't super familiar to him. It was like that one-inch crack size. And then Pete, act, you know, completely hiked it and had this amazing performance. And I was like, man, these, these guys are both, I know maybe Pete is like slightly stronger than Tom right now, but like their track record is so on par with one another. I was like, oh, that, that's so inspirational that Tom has literally like, I've met him briefly, but he had no shame in like completely failing and like hang dogging this thing and, and just like being all that being part of the process. Um, and ironically, Mary was there that day as well. And she was like, she's like a super slow hiker because she has asthma and like, you know, which is like, I had this like trad princess picture in my brain, you know? And, and I think yeah. that that experience for me really highlighted, like, you don't actually know who someone is based on their, like their internet persona or whatever. But, um, I think that highlighting failure and I know Tom does that and you do that. And I think that's got to be really helpful for uh, up and coming climbers to just see that see failure on display so that was something I wanted to highlight and I and I love how you're doing that and you're just like putting your real self out there well well thank you so much and just to like touch on that for a second of yeah Tom is great at that I, I admire Tom so much for how he is able to just like accept the process so beautifully. I struggle with that a little bit more. I throw a few more tantrums and I'm a bit more emotional. I'm an emotional climber. So obviously like when you see me happy and I'm really happy. So if you see me sad, you know, you can just anticipate I'll be really sad or if I'm frustrated, I'm really frustrated. You know what I mean? Like I just, I have a lot of that and I've always admired 
when I climb with Tom and he has a bad day and he's like, oh yeah, it's a bit rough, but you know, like tomorrow we'll go back at it or something. It's just like, he's just has this, like it's water off the back kind of attitude that I, I really admire. And I've told him this before. I'm like, oh my gosh, like how do you do that? You know? And I think it just comes with practice and awareness and probably a lot of work. <laughs> like, you know, you don't really think about work in that way, but emotional work, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. It, it totally does. And um, you brought up therapy and as we were like trading emails and I, mm -hmm. I have really, really been into therapy the last couple of years. And I feel like that, I, I think I'm actually really good with accepting failure and climbing, but I've also never been like that good of a climber. <laughs> so I, I kind of have the luxury of being the like middle of the road climber. And I met these Brits recently and they were just, they're going to they're gonna, said they're going to make this movie about climbing 10 D and they're like, we're going to make this movie. And they were going to be the 10 D boys instead of the white ah. boys or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, here's the key to, to a life of longevity and climbing is like, never climb that hard until you're like 40. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that. I love that because the thing is, the thing about climbing is that everyone is kind of experiencing a lot of the same things and sure they're at different levels, but like. I know you're, you're joking about it and you're saying like, oh, it's just because I'm not that. But like you experience the try hard and like you you do have a lot of these same stories, I guess, that that we're telling. I don't know. I feel like you're pretty strong. I don't think I don't think you need to to bash on yourself there. Um, <laughs> like, I love that they're going to tell a story about doing 10D or whatever. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think like they're listening to the podcast or they started listening. So if you guys hear <laughs> this, you better make that film and not just be something you talked about when you're. Yeah, partying make the film and then dm me with the link all right all right you guys hear that <laughs> will and callum that was their names nice i love that yeah because it's just such a human experience you know like part of the reason i started my youtube was to have a human experience uh kind of documented and i i didn't really plan on being this strong and i know i'm not like super strong or anything like that but like i kind of thought i was just gonna be like you know good-ish and just like keep documenting my very like accessible aspirational story and I thought that was beautiful so maybe maybe some of that carries into like these harder climbs where I still just feel like I'm just you know I'm just a girl doing my thing on the wall <laughs> and you know I still have the same emotions that I had when I was climbing way way easier I don't know I don't feel like different because I climb harder now if that makes sense it does and you have been able to control your narrative obviously you can't you can't like control what everyone comments on like your youtube or your instagram or whatever uh, none of us can control that stuff but and i think it's it's really interesting that you you've used kind of the modern tools to be able to do that because i think 20 years ago as a professional climber it was just like your pictures in the magazine you've climbed these grades you're getting this whatever minimal check from the <laughs> climbing publications like I when I interviewed Tommy Caldwell he was like we were getting $50 a month on our <laughs> sponsorship in the early 2000s so I love that you've used these modern tools of social media and YouTube to control a narrative and, and be the storyteller that you want to be you're doing that really well 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 thank you for saying that I like the control I'm not gonna lie like I like that I can choose and pick what I put in but it does come with like a lot of power, doesn't it? So that's why I also think I'm pretty like on it with trying to show the lows as well. But it's it's hard and it I feel like 
I don't know how I like to start the story, so I'll just tangent really quick. Um, when Al, Alistair Lee, made the film Queen Lines about me, I felt like it was so vulnerable letting someone else tell my story when I've been in charge of my story for so long. And he'll he'll tell you how much I texted him of just like, but make sure it's me, but make sure it's me, but make sure it's me. You know, I'm like, I don't want to be another like badass lady on the wall, like climbing with the guys, like, um, fearless and I'm like I'm fucking scared and I am weird and I do social media I dressed up as a banana on the quarry man with Tom like I don't just like please make sure it's still me and I just felt like handing that over was so scary and I'm so grateful that he he texted me back at some point I'll have to like find this text but he was like I threw everything I knew about making a movie about like a strong like a good an amazing ascent out the window because like that's just not your story like it's not about that it's not about climbing hard it's just it's that's not how you present it so we're just gonna we're just gonna go with with some more social media and like it's gonna be silly it's gonna be you don't worry and so I don't know why my head went there but I think like the whole controlling your story and then letting others tell it is like you know it's a scary release of like but will will they be able to do it will they be able to show me how I am and how I've been like confident showing myself, if that makes sense. So what was your reaction to the the film? Oh yeah, I loved it. He did an amazing job. I think he really captured my character. And also, he also kept in some of the badass parts too, which I appreciated because it's like, oh yeah, well also I am also climbing this scary thing and that's cool. But it didn't feel like that was the whole point. It felt like that was almost like the background and it was more like Tom and I climbing together, me kind of learning how to trad climb, all of that. It's just, I don't know. I really think he did a beautiful job and I was so grateful for that. I climbed with Alistair Lee and Joshua Tree in 2006 for a week. <laughs> and he was a really nice guy and I literally have not seen him since. <laughs> he's out there filming. He's he's kind of like doing real well with his Brit Rock series. Oh, he's the guy behind that. What do you hear from people that have been influenced by your work that like see you expressing a truth with vulnerability or anything else that you share that is you feel like you connect with people because I'm I'm guessing you get plenty of messages in your dms and emails and different things like that could could you just kind of highlight like the ones that mean the most to you and maybe common themes that you hear from from people there's always going to be negative comments on the internet but the main thing is that the majority of them are these beautiful positive messages that just like Mm. light up my world you know it's just like what i'm putting out there is is so positively impacting a lot of people and and generally what it is is like it's usually women who will message me or comment and and there are a lot of men too and what but mainly it's women and young girls who basically say like i didn't really see anyone like me climbing and that was hard and and having you as like you know a very present public person in the community just makes me feel like I can do it too or like makes me feel like I belong too and there's like this huge overwhelming sense of like acceptance when people maybe see my videos or see my page where I'm just like another like I kind of said earlier like I'm just a girl like I'm just another woman out there like loving climbing um, pushing myself 
And even though I might be climbing a little bit harder than I ever thought I would, just because of all the opportunities and time, you know, I've, I've gotten, it's a very relatable story that I feel like a lot of people are inspired by or they aspire to do what I do. I've also gotten a lot of a lot of feedback that my videos are honest and vulnerable and funny and crude, right? Like they have all of these elements that you don't really get to see maybe with bigger, I want to say like blockbuster films, but you know what I mean? Like the bigger climbing films about women specifically, like you don't really get to see all of those sides. And I think people really appreciate that when I do it. And so I, I try to keep that in mind too. Like sometimes I'll be like, oh, do I leave this scene in where I don't look that great? You know what I mean? Like I'm mm. like, oh shoot, like I kind of am having a meltdown or I'm, you know, I'm not looking hot. This is like, I have dirt on my face. I'm like bleeding out of my fingers and I'm just sitting there crying or something. And I'm like, huh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll leave some of that in. That's what happens. And yeah. I think just choosing to do that time and time again it creates this like understanding that if you're watching my videos you you're you're getting you're getting my day you're not getting like necessarily a highlight reel of course you are but like i'm trying to balance that no i think that's what climbing needs and and our society needs in general it's just like life is messy climbing is especially messy <laughs> the fact that you're portraying just your true self is is um, it feels like you're being true to yourself as an artist too and I know that you mentioned when we chatted before that you don't like label yourself as a professional climber purposely because then that puts you in a box and you you more label yourself as a, a climber who is a filmmaker and an artist and I, I think that's just another way that you're like controlling your narrative as well yeah yeah it's funny I, I just had this like thought of you know I'm trying to show my ups and downs and I actually sometimes feel guilty when I have a really good day on film because I'm like huh like that wasn't real enough like that was too good or something so it's kind of funny because I I have this like need to show me at my worst all the time and sometimes I have just really good days too and they're they happen to be on video I don't know why that that just floated into my head and I thought it was funny because yeah that just happens and I'm like oh no I hope people don't feel disillusioned by this video because it's such a good day and I might even put like a disclaimer like I had an amazing day this is not usually what happens and I try you know what I mean I do know what you mean and um, I think you should embrace that part too you know <laughs> for sure <laughs> what do you have as far as yeah? You know, what advice do you have for younger climbers maybe especially like you're saying women that don't see themselves represented or they they go to the gym and they're surrounded by like 12 shirtless dudes I would say to anyone who maybe doesn't feel, yeah, like feel like they're the norm or they fit in, I would just try to emphasize that you, you do belong because that's exactly what makes you belong in a lot of cases. This kind of perfectly loops back mm. to the beginning of our conversation, but like climbing has always been a bit more contrarian for misfits, out, outer edges. And and if you're feeling that way, like just, just trust me, you do belong. That's probably why you love climbing so much too like it it just it feeds the soul especially if you feel like you don't necessarily belong in the areas that you you live in or you grew up in and that there are people like you out there they just might be a little harder to find but they're like diamonds in the rough right <laughs> like you will find them just stick with it and there's also amazing online communities now where you can find those people and you can see that representation um, and I would urge any 
any climbers who don't feel like they fit in to go and look for that because it's just so special that moment where you feel like I'm here and this is where I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, you gotta find your people. And you were, you just reminded me of an essay that uh, Shara, she concluded her essay by saying that like you do belong. And and from my experience too, it's like you gotta find your weirdos and um, you gotta find your people. And you know, being down here in Petro Chico, I eventually have to like make new friends. Like for so long, I was like, I'm only climbing with my long term partners that I have good relationships with. And then you realize as time goes by, you you can't just stay in those realms but like I've always noticed if something's a little bit off with one group of people I'm like oh maybe this just isn't my people or like the people that don't like check the belay or whatever like um yeah yeah, you really do got to find your people in climbing that's like so important right it's one of those important parts because because that's why you're doing it right that's I feel like those are the roots like we start because we love it. We continue because we love it. So if you're not loving every moment, if you're not surrounded by good people that are making it fun, you know, there are other climbers out there. There's a lot of us now. So, you know, just keep looking, keep having that hope. It's kind of like dating, huh? Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. Especially because I travel alone, right? So I get to a new area or an old area and I'm just like, I go to the bar or something and I basically try to like chat up my next belay partner. And yep. I'm like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow morning? <laughs> like what sector are you climbing in? And you know, you're like, oh, that wasn't the greatest catch or those weren't the greatest vibes or whatever. Or, hey, that was amazing. You want to do it again? Yeah. I know. I just have a, a partner I met down here. He's, he's Guatemalan. Uh, shout out to Felipe. I'm very picky about my partners and I just met this guy and like he's into new roots and like we both are at a similar level but he's like stronger than me and I prefer to have a climber who's just like a little bit stronger than me and not like too much stronger to motivate me you know this guy will be a friend for the rest of my life and but it is like dating if you're just like feeling it out for a little while but then you're like oh man you like this and you like this and you like this and yeah, uh, yeah it's it's so beautiful when it when it really connects and when it really happens and um, oh my yeah. gosh totally like as someone who has traveled alone as a woman who's traveled alone for like a lot of time now um it's so nice that like i'm here in smith and there's so many other women just alone like traveling alone or like just down to like be your climbing partner and it's amazing i feel like it's the most that i've ever experienced because it's always like me and like a, a sea of guys that i kind of have to awkwardly like sift through because i'm not sure why they want to be my climbing partner sure as a woman you i bet you have to navigate like if a guy's trying to hit on you or not too well there was a (laughs) there's a moment there where i was just telling everyone i was gay and it's not like completely untrue Uh but i was like no no absolutely do not like guys (laughs) a total lie i just you know dated a woman so i'm like yeah perfect (laughs) like i'm gonna use this and that kind of helped sift through but it kind of you know i'm not I wouldn't do that again because it's literally lying and and it's just like interesting what you justify and then you're like oh my god that was so dishonest but also like it helped me travel and find partners that yeah. weren't trying to just sleep with me and so it's interesting kind of what you have to jeopardize just because you're a woman traveling alone or what you have to lie about like if you feel unsafe and i'm like oh my boyfriend's coming to the crag soon you know and there's no boyfriend yeah so it's really nice actually now and, and noticing a distinct difference between now and like three years ago even where I just go to the crag and there are a bunch of women and solo women and it's phenomenal I love it so much <laughs> 
Yeah, I noticed that too as well here, and I, I love that that change in the climbing world too, uh, as a straight man. <laughs> <laughs> See, it, it makes everyone happy. Yes, m- more more women in the climbing world is always a good thing. And, um, yeah. Gosh, well, thank you so much. I was like super nervous. I think mostly just because of this interface of um, not, you know, sitting uh, at each, like by each other's sides and having a conversation. Um, but I, I think we pulled it off. I really appreciate you taking the time and um, yeah, keep keep doing your thing. Well, well, thank you so much for having me, and I yeah. really liked your questions. They were so insightful, um, and they led to a great conversation between two people with very scattered thoughts. It seems so we kind of bounced all over the place, but that's how I like it. Um, all right, thank you so 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 much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. All right, that was my lovely conversation with Anna. Yeah, gosh, I just, that's why I love having this podcast is these types of conversations that I'm able to have. It just feels like such an honor to have an hour with someone like her and to have a real genuine conversation. And um, I hope it meant something to you all who listened. You can check out Anna's, really her YouTube and her Instagram are um, where a lot of her great content is under Anna Hazelnut is actually her moniker and not her real last name but um it's how a lot of people know her check her out on youtube and instagram she was also um, just part of a film by alistair lee she's got a variety of of films that have come out recently and just such a a good body of content that she's got on her youtube page and then other films that have made it on the film festival circuit or otherwise music from this episode is by devin dabney digital editor and producer is Chad Rich and signing off from El Portrero Chico, Mexico. I'm Luke Mihal. Peace.